Hey, this is Minta, and you're listening to Mint, the podcast equipping you to run the race of faith well. I like to say that we meet at the intersection of real life and the Word of God. Together, let's find practical ways we can grow stronger in our faith, live according to truth, and love those around us. I love hearing from you. So if you've been impacted by the show or have a question or just need prayer, please drop me an email at the address listed in the show notes. Mint is listener supported, and we would be so honored if you would consider making a donation to help keep us on the airwaves. All donations are tax deductible. Simply head to our website for more details, www.amintageisler.com. Let's do this faith journey together. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. We are in the series, Walk With Me, which is Jesus's invitation to us to live like him. And we have been diving deep into the Sermon of the Mount and seeing what it looks like to pursue godly righteousness in the world around us that is so different than how Jesus shows us it should be. And this is not easy, but it is so worth it. And last time, we started talking about different situations and what godly righteousness looks like, and we ran out of time. And so in this episode, we are going to finish the remaining four scenarios as Jesus shows us what true godly righteousness is. So let's pray and get going. God, I just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that you love us and that you are with us and that you love us so much. You don't want to leave us the same, but you want to change us to be more like you. So God, I just pray you'd give us eyes to see you and ears to hear you and hearts that are open to becoming more like you. Amen. So let's dive in to number three right now. All right, let's turn. I got to flip my Bible, Matthew, back to Matthew 5. We're going to go to the third situation that Jesus gives us for how to live out godly righteousness. And it's Matthew 5, 31 through 32. This is a tough one, friends. And so all the grace as we head into this conversation. You have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she's been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. This one's hard, right? Over 60% of divorces in the United States, or of marriages in the United States end in divorce. And that number is not any different for believers. And the reason Jesus is addressing this is because at the time, divorce was actually permissible for any reason at all. They were flippant about it. It was like no big deal. If if you decided your wife was not meeting your needs, you could give her a written notice of divorce and send her on her way. I mean, there just really was no honor given to that commitment. So Jesus is correcting here and saying, no, when you take an oath When you make a covenant with somebody, you got to try as hard as you can to keep it. You know, I have wrestled with this because I am divorced. And I get to this passage of scripture and I'm like, that this is hard. This is a hard one, Jesus. Like this is a hard one. And so I've I've done a lot of research actually in other areas of the Bible. So I want to look at those with you. And Jesus addresses this issue with the Pharisees. 
Later on in Matthew, in Matthew 19. So I'm going to flip there. Man, we are all over the scriptures today, but I just think that's so powerful too, to see how these themes run through scripture. Matthew 19 verses three to nine. And the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus here and they're trying to get him to speak out uh, against the law so that they can arrest him. And Jesus just handles it so well as always, but Verse 19, verse 3, chapter 19, some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record from the beginning, God made them male and female, and he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Well, then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. And Jesus replied, well, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. It is not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. So, you know, the Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus here into saying something, but Jesus references a lot of Old Testament scripture in his answer. And the first one is Deuteronomy 24.1, where Moses permits as a concession to the hard hearts of the people of Israel, he permits divorce. But it isn't God's original intent because Jesus also quoted Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 2.24. So I'm going to go back and read that to you. Genesis 1 verse 27 says this, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. Then he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and the animals that scurry along the ground. And then Genesis 2.24, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. So what God has joined together, let no man separate. We are created to be men and women united into one. And Jesus is saying this is because he's just trying to bring us back to the heart of God and to make us understand the seriousness of making a covenant with somebody. And when you make a covenant to be a person of your word and to hold to that. And I think one of the reasons why is that Jesus uses the concept of the church being the bride of God, right? We are the bride. And so he wants that marriage picture to remain so sacred to us. He wants us to understand that like God loves us with an everlasting love that's never going to end. And I believe that with, with my whole heart that we should try as hard as we can to not get divorced. But I, I want to just acknowledge here that I also believe that God, you know, hates other sin like he hates adultery. And so that's why it's the divorce is permitted if adultery is taking place. But I also know he hates abuse, physical and emotional, and I know he hates a lot of other sin. And so I think what Jesus is getting at here is like, give your best effort. Go till you absolutely cannot survive any longer. Do not leave your marriage because you want to, or you're bored, or something better came along, or you're not as happy as you want to be, or because it just feels like this isn't your you know, best life. 
but that we try at all costs to make this covenant stick. But I know that there might be people listening that are in a really abusive, hard, icky situation. And I also know God doesn't want that for you either. He wants you to be safe. And so please don't hear this and feel like a horrible person if you have been through a divorce because so obviously God has grace to cover that. But I don't think he wants us to do it flippantly. I think he wants us to give literally everything that we have before we would walk away. And so I'm just going to leave that there because we could talk and debate for hours about this. But I don't want this to become a legalistic battle. I want this to be we do our best to honor God's word with our whole heart, our whole soul, our whole mind, all of our strength. And know that in in cases where it falls apart or it breaks down or there's a sin committed, there is grace there, just like there's grace for any other sin. So that, uh, before we move on, is just another example of peace, isn't it? When we are filled with godly righteousness, we work at living at peace. And divorce is the opposite of peace. And so... I just love how you can see the themes of the Beatitudes being pulled out in each of these situations and they they just build on each other. And, and I also love that it's not in our own strength that God is asking us to do these things, but with his righteousness in us, his spirit living in us, we don't have to do this on our own, which is great because I fall so short in all of these areas. All right, let's go on to number four. It's Matthew 5, 33 through 37. You've heard that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, don't make vows. Don't say by heaven, because heaven's God's throne. Do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem's the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just a simple, I will or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Now, this one, this idea of a vow, this is so similar to the last thing we talked about with divorce. And it's the idea of being a person of your word. And if you make, if you say you'll do something, do it. If you say you're not going to do something, don't do it. And the problem is that the Pharisees had added so many like rules and side laws about oaths. So if you swore by the temple, it was binding. But if you swore by the steps of the temple, it was not binding. Now, that's just an example. But I mean, it was crazy. It was exhausting. And it was misleading. And they used it for deception. That's at the heart of what it is. So Jesus gets to the root. And that's what he says. Mean what you say. Do what you say you're going to do. Be a person of your word. Don't walk the line of what can I get away with or it's technically not a a lie or it's just a little white lie or well, I didn't totally mean it. I was just kidding. Don't do that. Be honest. Let your word mean something, right? This is what it means to be pure in heart, to have your heart not be tainted, but to be totally devoted to God. I'm going to flip to James Chapter 3, I'm going to read a little bit about the tongue. James 3, starting in 2, Indeed, we all make many mistakes. If we could control our tongues, we could be perfect, and we could control ourselves in every other way. You can make a large horse go wherever you want by means of a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a ship turn from wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. And in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. 
It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. And surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out both fresh water and bitter water? And does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. And this is that idea of watch your tongue. Make sure that your word means something and that you're truthful so that all the things that pour out of your mouth are fresh water and not salty water. Okay, let's go on to number five in Matthew. We are going to do Matthew 5 verses 38 to 42 and this is about revenge you have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but i say do not resist an evil person if someone slaps you on the right cheek offer the other cheek also if you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you give your coat too and if a soldier demands you carry his gear for a mile carry it two miles give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Now, these were based on laws in Leviticus and Deuteronomy that were instructing the people. And what it said was basically eye for eye, tooth for a tooth. If someone hurts you, you can hurt them back. If there's um, a sin committed, then the punishment must match the crime. And if you commit certain kinds of sin, then you must immediately be put to death. So it was really like people took justice into their own hands. And they enacted revenge. And and that Pharisees were real quick to enact revenge on the people. They took it in their hands to decide what justice looks like. And so again, Jesus is getting to the heart of the issue. And I'm going to go to Romans chapter 12. And we've already been there once. We're going to continue on where we read verses 19 through 21. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. This is our posture. This is what it looks like to walk out a beatitude of peace. We have a stance of trust in God that he is the God of justice. We don't need to control the situation. We don't need to get angry. We've already talked about that. We don't need to enact justice but we inherently wait in peace for God to be just. Psalm 89.14 says that he is the God of righteousness and justice. Those are the foundations of his throne. He will handle it, friends. It's who he is. We can trust him. He sets the standards for justice and for fairness. And we are more of a light in the world when we turn the other cheek than when we retaliate. And that is what Jesus is getting at here. Trust the Lord. Let him decide what is just. And you just be a peacemaker and you love the people around you. That's the beatitude at work here. And I don't want to just gloss over this. Friends, this is hard. Uh, Especially like when your kids get bullied. Or especially when somebody owes you and doesn't pay you. Or especially when somebody hurts you and they're not even sorry. It's just so hard, but we can do it with God's righteousness in us. And finally, number six, and this is Matthew 5, 43 to 48. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. 
Pray for those who persecute you. And in that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and unjust alike. And if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. And if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But if you are, you are to be perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. And Jesus is addressing Leviticus 19.18 here, where we are commanded to love your neighbor. Well, it got a little messy in those days. Who was defined as your neighbor, right? And we have all heard the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10.30, where the enemy is the one who helps the man who has been beaten on the side of the road. Not the religious leaders. It's the enemy. And Jesus is redefining for the Pharisees in this story what a neighbor is because the Pharisees had made it so narrow. Like if you believe the same as us and if you act the same as us and if you follow our, our little rules, you're our neighbor and we'll love you. But if you look different than us, then we will not love you. And so Jesus is addressing their distortion and he's telling us in that story of the Good Samaritan and, and here now in the Sermon on the Mount that we need to love even our enemies because if we don't, then how are we any different than the world? And that just always hits me. Like, do I love people in such a way that I actually look different? Do people look at me and go, wow, what is different about her? Or do I love so similarly to the world that it does not stand out? This is huge. And it's hard, especially in today's day and age where we are so divided. Man, we are polarized polarized as a country. Sorry, I said that a little incorrectly. And there is a lot of anger between the different sides. We are mad at people that do not believe the same as us. And we have been pushed to almost the point of hatred by the media. Isn't that their agenda? And by social media and politicians. But Jesus calls us to love those people. The ones on the other side of the fence, the ones on the other political party, the ones who don't feel the same about the vaccine as us, the ones who don't approach subjects like the BLM movement or the LGBTQ movement or whatever it may be, whatever side you're on, are you loving the people on the other side of the fence? Or are you only loving the people on your side of the fence? Now, I got to tell you another story about my daughter to end today, you know, and you are the sweetest audience ever because so many people have reached out to ask how she's doing after hearing the bullying story from her teacher. But you know, her teacher is not the only source of hardship at dance. And there's only six freshmen this year and the other five are thick as thieves. And they call themselves the Fab Five Freshmen and they just leave Livy right out. And they will ignore her at rehearsals. They don't invite her to anything. If she talks to them, they do not respond. They make fun of her when she's dancing. It's horrible. And a couple weekends ago, she had a recital. And those weekends are the worst because they have to spend so much time together. And they just make her feel like such an outcast. So she had called me in the middle of the night. And she needed to cry it out with her mama. And we just got talking about that and how she shouldn't take it personal and how the world is going to hate us because we look like Jesus. It's not even about that they didn't really like Livy, but I think it's just that darkness hates the light and they don't like the light in her. And so they exclude her. And so we talked through that and prayed through that. And she got her verses all ready and taped them to her water bottle. And she had extra ones. And the very next day she had to go perform again. So we're going right back into the lion's den, right? And 
as she's getting ready to dance, she's reading her verses. And a, and a girl comes over and is like, what's, what's that? And she said, well, these are my verses. And, and the girl's like, well, what are verses? You know? And so Libby shared how they were encouragement in her faith to help her keep going. And another girl comes over. What are you guys looking at? And she says, well, verses. And the girl's like, what are verses? And can I see? You know? And, and finally she says, why don't you just read those out loud, Libby? And all of a sudden to the very same people that have mocked my daughter and ignored my daughter and made her feel worthless, Livy read all of her verses out loud. And then for about 15 minutes, she said they asked her questions about her faith. Friends, that is loving your enemy because she could have so easily blown them off or been rude back or decided it wasn't worth her time or she didn't want to take a risk because they might make fun of her. But she loved them back and she gave them scripture unashamedly and the word does not return void. So I know someday that's going to produce fruit. But I just such a simple example. But that is what it looks like to love your enemy. That even though they don't treat you well, when the time comes for you, you treat them well. And you treat them like a child of the king and that they are worthy and you give them love. So I just thought that was an incredible example of being a peacemaker and loving the people around you. And it just inspired me to do better. And I just loved it. Friends, the the topics that we talked about today, these six things, I know they're hard. And it is only possible when we empty ourselves and fill up with godly righteousness. You know, and in Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, this is what it looks like to follow me. You have to be willing to die to self. And take up your cross and follow. And he's talking about dying to the ideas of easiness and fairness in our rights and what is acceptable by the world. And then just picking up a cross and being salt and light in a really dark place. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for just your righteousness and your justice. God, I pray now that you would come into our lives and you would help us to be filled up with your godly righteousness so that we can walk out the precepts that we learned today. God, help us to be those people who live according to your truth and stand out in the world in our salt and light. We know we need your help. So fill us up and help us to do it. Equip us and empower us, Lord, we pray. You've been listening to Mint, the podcast dedicated to making spiritual things practical. If you want more information about Mint or Reckless Abandoned Ministries, you can just head to our website at www.amintageisler.com for more information.